to tell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, Black Man Smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the podcast that refuses to save a little Christmas for Christmas. Today we're returning to the enchanted world of Rankin-Bass, but it has come to my attention that there are just five Rankin-Bass Christmas specials left for me to cover on this podcast. So I'll be spacing them out so as not to blow through what's left too quickly. So join us as we ignore the advice of 1975's redundantly named The First Christmas, The Story of the First Christmas Snow. I am bumbling parish priest returning home to find someone's been sleeping in my bed, Mike Westfall. And joining me is a nun who somehow has never seen or heard of a Christmas card. Please welcome Mike Troxell. Hey, Mike. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I, uh, I'm especially excited to, to really finally hear the story of the first Christmas today. <laughs> Good. Maybe we'll hear it because I feel like the title of this is very inaccurate. <laughs> it is neither about the first Christmas, nor is it about the first Christmas snow. But hints of it are in there along the way, but thank you for coming on. I'd like to ask right out of the gate, what is your history with this special? And do you remember watching it for the first time? I do. Uh, so, so sometime uh, shortly after my wife and I got married, we would just DVR. It was in the advent of the DVR time. And we would DVR any Christmas special, you know, anywhere from ABC family. Yep. Uh, and it was one of those that we had no idea what it was. And we watched it once and we weren't super thrilled about it at the time. Uh, uh, but that was my only experience until until uh, preparing for this that we, we had with the special. Nice. My story is very similar. I missed this as a kid. Earliest I would have seen this was in the early aughts, also on ABC Family. Uh, this one seems like it's easy to forget about, especially because... ABC Family used to kind of shove the less popular ones like this into a time slot at some ungodly hour when few people were awake to watch it. Yeah, we uh, it was always an ungodly hour. Like I said, we DVR'd it, so we probably ended up watching it sometime in February because we we were had so many Christmas specials that we just couldn't cram them all in there before Christmas. But <laughs> yeah, I got a DVR a little later, but I I had the same thing, and unfortunately, I couldn't transfer any of that, so. It was kind of I was at the whim of if I had a DVD or find it on the Internet, which <laughs> thankfully there was a copy on the Internet. Actually, by the time I publish this, we will have had the release of the complete Rankin Bass Christmas collection, which is not completely accurate, but close enough. I saw that. That's exciting. I, I'm hoping they'll, they'll release that digitally, too, because I'd, I'd be excited about purchasing it that way. I hope so. Yes. 
Uh, but since AMC got the rights to show the Rankin Bass collection back in 2018, they've actually done a good job of airing this one and a lot of the more obscure ones multiple times over the course of December. So I feel like a lot of adults have only recently watched this for the first time over the last few years. And it seems to be well-liked among the people who have watched them all. I, I looked up some lists ranking all the Rankin Bass specials. Rankin, Rankin. <laughs> and the highest I saw this one ranked was by Emily St. James for Vox. She put it at number three. I saw that. I, I looked up lists too. That really surprised me. Although, you know, have, having watched it again with kind of a fresh X set of expectations and a fresh set of eyes. I don't know if she, I don't know if she's wrong about that. I feel pretty good about this special today. Yeah, I, a lot of respect. I wouldn't put it at my bronze, but <laughs> I like the boldness of that ranking, and I, I don't really have a desire to rank these, but probably wouldn't have given it third place. <laughs> but let's get in with the first Christmas, the story of the first Christmas snow is a mouthful. Uh, first aired on NBC on December 19th, 1975. That was a Friday night. I tried to look up on TV Tango if it showed what time, and it's not there, but there's a blank spot at 8 o'clock, which would mean Sanford and Son would not be seen that evening. This notably was the first special made after the year without a Santa Claus, which was a tough act to follow. It's also the first Rankin-Bass Christmas special not based on an existing story or song. So this is an original IP, which explains a lot. So is this is this one not based? Because I, I got the vibe from watching this special that it was probably built around the big song that comes kind of towards the end of the special. Although that was completely speculation on my part. Maybe, but it doesn't seem like it. The, what I saw on several different wikis that would happen to have this. There's a Rankin Bass wiki. There's a Christmas specials wiki. This is on Wikipedia. And they all seem to be in agreement that this was not based on that song and is an original creation like Ricky Rouse and Model Muck. <laughs> but let's get into it. If you want to watch this yourself, it's not too difficult to find online. That DVD set should be out by now, or you can check AMC's best Christmas ever lineup should be on there. But we open a few weeks before Christmas with a nun finishing a small painting. This is our narrator, Sister Teresa, voiced by Angela Lansbury. When I was a child growing up in my village in the mountains, it snowed. How it snowed. And always at Christmas. Who was still alive when we recorded this? So pour one out for Angela Lansbury. I wasn't sure if she had come up on the podcast before, but she has. She was in the 2018 Grinch movie as the mayor of Whoville. Ah, huh. very memorable role for Angela Lansbury. That's right. <laughs> uh, and this isn't the last time we're going to hear from Angela Lansbury this season. So stay tuned. But as far as her life and career is concerned, Angela Lansbury turned 50 in 1975. This special's four years after Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And three years before Death on the Nile. So there's your timeline. Here she is, Sister Teresa, who is making Christmas cards. Christmas she painted. <coughs> but these other nuns at the Abbey where she lives have apparently never heard of Christmas cards before. 
Yeah, it's baffling. What do you call them? Christmas cards. Yeah. <laughs> Not 30 seconds into this special, I already found myself checking Wikipedia for when was the Christmas card invented? <laughs> Why haven't these sisters ever heard of them? Uh, and the answer is the oldest known Christmas card was sent in the year 1611 by Michael Mayer, a German physician and alchemist to King James I of England. But if Rankin-Bass wants to smash a tiny dent into the patriarchy by retconning the invention of the Christmas card, I'm down with that. <laughs> I, I figure this is this special's version of, of the, all the origin stories that have come up in like the, the uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Oh, yeah. All of that. They had to cram a Rankin-Bass origin story in there somewhere. Absolutely. So that's where Christmas cards come from. <laughs> sure. Uh, this abbey certainly seems to exist outside of time. Our only other clue as to where exactly we are in the world is that it's some valley close to the sea in a place where it never snows, which is pointed out by a younger nun, Sister Catherine, who is voiced by Iris Rayner. Oh, Sister Teresa, your, what do you call them? Christmas cards are so beautiful. But why do they all have snow in them? It never snows in this valley. We're much too close to the sea. We've talked about her before. Most recently, she was in Rudolph's Shiny New Year as Mama Bear with her New York accent. Someone's been eating my porridge. Sister Catherine asks why Sister Teresa painted snowy scenes on this Christmas card, and she explains it reminds her of her childhood growing up in the mountains where it would snow every Christmas. But one of these cards is a nativity scene with snow out the window, and one of the older nuns says, The nativity in the snow! I had almost forgotten that on the first Christmas, there was a snowfall. Hang on, what? <laughs> I have that exact same thing. I have the verbatim quote, and I have what with a question mark here in my notes. <laughs> that, that, that's not biblical. And these ladies seem to know Bible, right? I would think that's part of the job. <laughs> this nun is Sister Jean, who is voiced by Joan Gardner. She was Tante Kringle in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. This time, much lighter on the accent. Have you ever been taught that it snowed when Jesus was born? Uh, not in any church setting. You know, I, I think you could probably, depending on the Christmas special, they probably crammed it in somewhere over the years. But uh, no, no, never. <laughs> I, yeah, not once. I don't ever remember hearing this from TV or otherwise. My mom's nativity scene at home at her house has a stable with palm trees and sand dunes painted in the back of it. <laughs> So then I found myself Googling, how common is snow in Bethlehem? <laughs> and it's not unheard of. Uh, in modern times, it snows in Bethlehem in December about every three or four years. But I, it doesn't look like it's enough snowfall to have it be a white Christmas. No biblical accounts of Jesus' birth mentioned snow or December for that matter. So <laughs> I don't know where the snow on the first Christmas thing came from winter is actually bethlehem's most humid season so december averages 11 rainy days according to wikipedia and this is one of them as it suddenly starts pouring outside <laughs> and as lightning strikes a nearby tree sister Teresa sees someone out the window stuck out in a thunderstorm so she calls the other sisters and they go in the pouring rain to see who's out there and if they need help Sister Catherine, I'm afraid something terrible has happened. And that's when the opening credits start, as all of Sister Therese's beautiful Christmas cards just get left out in the rain. 
I thought that was a pretty well animated segment. You know, I, inter, intermingling the Christmas cards with the sisters, you know, kind of traversing the, the mountain area. Yeah, Rankin Bass is so good at the opening titles. They're always so creative every time. And, and I thought that was a neat way to do it. But the poor cards got caught in the rain. But after our cold open, the first thing we see are two hungry wolves mugging the camera with their tongue sticking out like, yeah, we're eating tonight. <laughs> we see them again a little later, but they're never really a danger. Uh, and they're not eating tonight, at least not this little shepherd boy who's lying on the ground as the sisters arrive and take him and his dog back to the abbey. And that's where this kid wakes up to find he can't see anything. He opens his eyes and we see his pupils are white where the black should be. And Sister Teresa tells him the lightning strike must have rendered him blind. And flash blindness is a thing. Basically, imagine someone taking your photo with a big, large, annoying flash bulb. Now crank that up to 11. And that's what happened here to poor little Lucas. Does that flash blindness often last for long periods? In your research, or is that just one of those things like, oh, you get your, your picture taken, you can't see it for a few minutes? This kid's got a special kind of flash blindness, I think. Yeah, it's a little of both. It 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 can be permanent if it's something like a lightning strike. Mm. I think I read, but it didn't seem like a very common thing either. <laughs> uh, Lucas is voiced by David Kelly. Where am I? Waggles? Has the storm stopped? Why is it so dark here? Where are we? His only other credits on IMDb are other holiday specials I haven't covered yet. But he was in one called The City That Forgot About Christmas. There are a couple of others called Easter Is and Freedom Is. So there's your Mount Rushmore of religious-based holiday specials starring 1970s child voice actor David Kelly. So Sister Teresa tells us that like a good shepherd, Lucas's first thought was not of himself, but for his sheep. He immediately asks where they and his dog Waggles are, and the good news is, they're all safe in the Abbey Barnyard. We see Waggles wrangling the sheep into their pen, and I have a credit for the animal noises for Waggles and the sheep. It's Don Messick, the voice of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I saw him on the IMDb page, but it didn't say what he did, so I had no, no clue what Messick was up to on this one. I found that on Behind the Voice Actors. <laughs> credited him with both the sheep and the dog. And I can hear like waggles. He kind of sounds like Astro. And that's the last time we heard Dong Messick on this podcast as Astro in the Jetsons Christmas Carol. So Lucas stays at the Abbey for a week. And then the parish priest, Father Thomas, returns from a visit to a neighboring town. And he opens the door to find some kid asleep in his bed. And my first thought is, why is your bed right next to your front door? <laughs> Yeah, you know, do we see more than one room in, in this little abbey at all? There's this room and then there's the room where they're painting the Christmas cards and later they're decorating mm. it. And that's it. But it, <laughs> it looks like a big building. They're not living in a studio. Just I'm going to put my bed right in the front room here. <laughs> I'll tell you, Mike, this Father Thomas, he seems like a real jerk. He does. Sister Teresa? Yes, Father, I'm right here. Oh, uh, oh dear. Yes, indeed. Well, <clears throat> would you be so kind to explain him to me? Uh, so Father Thomas is voiced by Cyril Richard, who is best known from the Broadway musical version of Peter Pan as Captain Hook, opposite Mary Martin, if you've ever seen that. He died in 1977, so this is one of his last roles. 
Uh, his final role right after this was in Rankin Bass's adaptation of The Hobbit. He was the voice of Elrond. And I've brought this up once before, but also in 1975, he was in an animated movie called Tubby the Tuba <coughs> about an anthropomorphic tuba who runs away from the orchestra to find his own song and get some inspiration from a singing bullfrog who's voiced by Cyril Richard. <laughs> so Father Thomas walks into his front door, finds someone's been sleeping in his bed calls for the sisters to explain what's going on, why haven't they contacted his parents, and here's where we learn Lucas is fresh out of parents. <laughs> what happened to Lucas's parents? Poor Lucas's parents. No, we don't really get the story behind that, do we? We don't. They just say he doesn't have any parents. He's been out tending these sheep by himself. So Father Thomas allows Lucas to stay while he recovers, slowly learning to walk around while blind with Waggles helping to guide him. But once he can get around okay, Father insists it's time to start thinking about sending Lucas to an orphanage. Little boys without parents belong in an orphanage and not in a church abbey. Well, my lad, I hope you're feeling better. <laughs> and from every orphanage I've ever seen or heard about in pop culture, I'd pick the abbey too. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they have this nice welcoming place for him. Well, welcoming, except for Father Thomas. And they're, yeah. they're just planning on shoving him off to wherever after that that sounds uh probably like a bad deal for him really go find your own place to sleep <laughs> we then move quickly to lucas learning to tend to his sheep without his sight to help him followed by a scene where the sisters and some kids from the local village are decorating the abbey for christmas a few weeks earlier than father thomas thinks is appropriate and he tells him so through a song called Save a Little Christmas for Christmas. Save a little Christmas for Christmas. Save a little spirit. Put some love away. Think about the shepherds in fields as they lay. And save a little Christmas for Christmas Day. It's the anti-Christmas creep song. <laughs> as we record this in September. Mike, what do you think of this song? Uh, you know, it. I, I thought it, it's, it feels kind of like a classic Rankin Bass song. I don't know if it feels like a song for right smack in the middle of this special, but I thought it was an enjoyable song, I think. Yeah, uh, this is a good example I like to cite when people complain that the Christmas creep, like it's a recent thing. It's not. They're writing songs about it back here in 1975. Well, then, then the, the Charlie Brown Christmas special was about the Christmas creep to some extent, wasn't it? Uh, that was, yeah, that, that was a big part of it. And then you mentioned that, that the Easter, Charlie Brown's Easter special, it's the Easter Beagle Charlie Brown had a joke. I think it was the year before this. I think it was 74. They're going shopping for Easter stuff and the mall's decorated for Christmas already. <laughs> and that is my favorite Christmas creep joke. But here is Father Thomas is singing this song. He starts taking the ornaments off the tree and just putting everything back in their boxes. No, now you're just going to have to take them all out again in two weeks. It's two weeks until Christmas, Father. Just call a mulligan this year. Yeah, at that, at that point, it's kind of a sunk, a sunk cost. You just got to let the tree be decorated a little bit. Yeah. I only agree with this song about halfway. Yes, it's important to pace yourself. I, I know a lot of people on other Christmas podcasts who have talked about feeling depressed the day after Christmas has come and gone. And that's a real struggle for a lot of people. So it's important to find balance there. But then part of the song goes, don't rush the season or you will spoil the rhyme. Christmas was just a day, not all the time. 
How many other specials and stories and sermons have gone on about how we should keep the spirit of Christmas in our hearts all year long? And this father is like, nope, it was just a day. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even that special, to be honest with it. He doesn't, he doesn't really care about that one. No, nothing to base a whole religion on or anything. <laughs> so, yeah, save a little Christmas, not all of it. But after all that song and dance and putting away everything, we cut back to Sister Teresa making more Christmas cards. <laughs> She's learned nothing. Good work. She explains to Lucas that she paints snowy scenes of her childhood home on cards, and Lucas asks her what snow feels like. Then he asks what it tastes like, which, yeah, you and I know to try and catch snowflakes on your tongue because Lucy taught us that. Taking away that scene... This kid's only exposure to snow when he could see was seeing it on faraway mountaintops. So how do you go from that to, I wonder what that stuff on the top of that mountain tastes like? Just that natural childhood inquisitiveness, you know. What does bleach taste like? (laughs) Kids kids just want to know. They want to know these things. What if I stick my tongue into this outlet? (laughs) Benny tried to stick out his tongue and eat that lightning bolt. That's why he's blind. (laughs) but sister Teresa describes snow to Lucas as best as she can it's wet it's cold it melts in your hand and it is most beautiful when it falls on Christmas and oh wow it's already time for another song kinda yeah this is a short one it's more of a reprise she just sings Christmas snow is magic as everybody Mike, is this the shortest ever Christmas song? It might be. <laughs> I was waiting for more. It just, it just kind of ended. Yeah, and it was like, oh, oh, we're done. You never see a frowning face on Christmas when it snows. Spoken like someone who's never had to shovel it. <laughs> That's when Father Thomas walks in. He's touched by Sister's very short song. And that prompts him to agree to let Lucas stay at the Abbey until after Christmas, at least. And then they'll send him to the orphanage. <laughs> We then cut to Lucas telling Waggles he doesn't want to go to some dumb old orphanage. And that's where we kind of rather quietly cut to commercial compared to what I'm used to with Rankin Bass. Usually we get the big scary trombones because someone's in trouble. Here it's much more subdued. What are we going to do? I don't want to go to any old orphanage. Oh, Waggles, what are we going to do? Fireplaces glowing, bicycles rowing, hearts overflowing with cheer. It's that wonderful season we all find so pleasing. The Toys R Us time of year. The world's biggest toy stores, Toys R Us. The biggest selection, Toys R Us. But when we return after those messages, Sister Teresa introduces Lucas to a bunch of other kids from the nearby village who are all at the Abbey to rehearse the Nativity play. And one girl in particular is quick to make friends. Her name is Louisa, and as soon as I heard her speak, I realized, oh, I know that voice. Come on, Lucas. I'm Louisa, and I'm an angel, too. There can never be too many angels. It's Dina Lynn. She was also Glinda in the first Easter Rabbit. Are you familiar with that one? 
I am. Yeah, that that's uh, that's a regular in our house. Yeah, I just remember that monotone voice like, oh, Stuffy, you came back. <laughs> uh, Dina Lynn's another one where all her acting credits on IMDb are exclusively from the 70s and exclusively holiday specials. Yeah, is, is she some sort of like a Rankin-Bass nepotism baby? So you have like a, a father or mother on the animation team? I think that's what's going on here with all of these kids. I keep seeing their names pop up, and when I look them up, and it's just the same thing. It's Rankin-Bass and this other company that did the Christmas is and Easter is. So something along those lines. And they'd all be in their 50s and 60s now. So we salute you, Dina Lynn and others. We can't go past this scene without talking about the kid who said, how can he play an angel if he can't see? <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty harsh, I think. Of all the things you can't do when you can't see, I think playing an angel, you could probably swing that, right? Yeah. They don't have to, like, walk anywhere. They just walk out on stage, and usually there's a bunch of them, so they're walking single file, and just kind of put your hand next to somebody, and they'll lead you up there. Yeah, they're both part of the angel chorus, so I think... Oh, they're going to sing something like The First Noel or Away in the Manger. Nope, it's an original song called The First White Christmas. The first white Christmas. And they are sticking with this line that it snowed when Jesus was born. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the whole the whole conceit really is just set up for the end scene. I don't I don't think they have any any actual uh, commitment. Yeah, we don't get to hear this whole song yet, so we'll come back to that. Instead, we flash forward to Christmas Eve morning, and Lucas asks Louise as sort of a hypothetical, if you could have anything you wanted for Christmas, what would you ask for? <laughs> and Louise's answer is... I went saw a rich lady in my uncle's village with a beautiful white fur muff. It was so big she could put a hot potato in it to keep her hands warm. I'd like a muff like that. And my thoughts went to that episode of The Office where Michael spends his surplus bonus on a fur coat from Burlington Coat Factory and then <laughs> immediately gets red paint thrown on it by a PETA protester. <laughs> I'm a little confused about this muff that Louisa keeps talking about. She, You can heat up a potato and keep it in the muff to keep your hands warm. Is that Was that a standard thing to do at some point? I've never heard of that before, but yeah, that's how she's described it. You could fit a hot potato in there and it would be nice and warm. What? <laughs> that's one way to do it, I guess. I guess that's what they had to use. They had to like heat up a potato and put it in there and before you had like the hand warmers. <laughs> that was your hand warmer technology hundreds of years ago. Put a potato on the fire, stick it in a muff, keep your hands in there. And then Lucas answers his own question by beginning to sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. That would be the best present, even if I couldn't see it. These are both good answers because they're kid answers. You can't ask an adult that. Because the answer is always going to be something like, pay off my debt. <laughs> but Mike, have you reached a point in your adulthood where you just don't ask for anything for Christmas or your birthday anymore? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've reached the point where where the, the less attention that's paid to me, the better. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I, I think, that, you know, we have a kid, so it's all about showering your kid with gifts at this point for us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a little sad, but 
more of a wistful sad. It's not it's not something I think about anymore. <laughs> My birthday's coming up as we record this. What are we doing? Nothing. It's going to be great. <laughs> but with apologies to David Kelly, was I glad when Angela Lansbury took over singing that song? Yeah, it was a little a little rough there, David. But uh, but yeah, it, it turned around. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And that was another nice animation sequence for the for the white Christmas song, I thought. Yeah, they uh, incorporate. So she's singing White Christmas. She imagines snowy scenes of Lucas and Louisa playing in the snow. Notably, Lucas, in her imagination, can see in these blurry fantasy scenes. His pupils are black and everything. And then they incorporated her Christmas cards in there toward the end, right around that with every Christmas card I write line, which was a nice touch. Now, every time I watch one of these Rankin-Bass specials, Mike, I, I wonder and I always look about whether they've ever released like a compilation of Rankin-Bass songs. And the answer is, is, is always no. I'm a little frustrated by that, you know, because there are a number of nice songs and there are a number of maybe less nice songs. But uh, you think with the number of like Christmas compilations, horrible vanity Christmas albums that somebody somewhere would, would say, you know, there's enough people who'd buy a Rankin-Bass box set or something and put that out there. I know I look for that every year because I would really like clean cuts of a lot of these. Like one of my favorites from Twas the Night Before Christmas is that uh, Christmas Chimes Are Calling song, which I would like like a clean beginning to that. But they always talk over it. So I can't quite get it to where I want it, where it would fit nicely on a playlist. But best we can do is just record them and kind of fade up. So this is obviously the big popular song they got the rights to put into this special. But according to Arthur Rankin, Irving Berlin, who wrote White Christmas, really didn't want them to have this. Really? Yeah. I keep reading that he was strongly against it being in this special. That 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 song has been has been re-recorded and re-released in so many different different ways over the last, you know, almost 100 years at this point. Right. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but no. Yeah, you're like, right. But for one half hour, you know, claymation special, <laughs> that, that that was the sticking point for Irving Berlin. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you got Angela Lansbury singing it and she sings it fine here. So I don't know. Irving Berlin, you wrote this song for a movie where Bing Crosby wears blackface, so you don't get to make decisions anymore. <laughs> Well, after the song, Louisa's sister Octavia comes looking for her. Louisa, come on. We've got to go home and wrap Sister Teresa's present for tonight. And if her voice sounds familiar, it probably is. Octavia was played by Hilary Momberger, who also voiced Charlie Brown's sister Sally for a couple of years, including the movie Snoopy Come Home and a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And I immediately heard like, oh, she sounds like a Peanuts kid. And now that you mention it, it stands out. I, I don't know if I caught that while I was watching it, but but connecting that after the fact, definitely. Yeah, uh, she's still acting today and also works as a script supervisor. She voiced the older Barbara Gordon on Batman Beyond. And she's also written a memoir called Peanuts to Percocet. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> not for the kids, I guess. I guess not. It's more, but it seems like like a genuinely positive story. 
Then. Here she's 13 years old when this special debuted, voicing Louisa's sister, who tells us they have to get home to finish their Christmas present to Sister Teresa. And Lucas's eyes may not work, but they tell the whole story to us. Poor kid didn't even know to get Sister anything. So he thinks up a lie and he thinks it up quick and just tells the girls, oh, it's a surprise. <laughs> but now Louisa says, oh, I can't wait to see your surprise. So now he's in a bit of a jam. Because all he owns are a dog and some sheep. So he asks Waggles, hey, suppose when I have to go to this orphanage that y'all just stay here and be my Christmas present to Sister Teresa. Yeah, he worked his way out of that, that conundrum pretty quick. He just, uh, you know, within a second, he said, well, just take take the dog, take the sheep. I don't care. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to, to think that quickly on my feet. His other senses are heightened. <laughs> and fine, no pets allowed at the orphanage. Speaking of Snoopy, come home. <laughs> no dogs allowed. But outside Lucas's window are three boys listening in and deciding a dog and some sheep. What a dumb present, stupid kid. Did you hear that? He wants to give Sister Teresa his sheep. Ha, imagine that. And his dog. Yeah, what a dumb idea. Apparently, according to behind the voice actors, all three of these boys are voiced by Greg Thomas, who's another 70s kid who did a few holiday specials and nothing else. We last talked about him during Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He was the young Chris Kringle. But my, how the kindly have fallen. <laughs> but if he's all three of these kids, that's pretty impressive because he manages to give them each a distinct voice. Yeah, that's that. You have to be a, a decent enough voice actor to have a conversation with yourself, I think, and, and pull it off. So good for him. Yeah. But these jerks decide, let's play a trick on Lucas and it won't hurt anyone. Which I guess makes it OK in their minds. Yeah, it won't hurt anyone and we could have a laugh. Yeah. Why not? And their prank is lock the sheep in a barn. <laughs> good work. But a different barn. A different barn. Multiple barns at the Abbey. <laughs> Lucas goes to visit his sheep, which I don't think we've discussed yet, but he's named them all and recognizes each of them by their buying. So there are six sheep. We have Babette, Nicole, Senta, Hester, Basil, and Wooly. And Little Black Wooly. Little Black Wooly. He is the literal black sheep of the family. And they break out of the barn and run into the woods. While the other boys are just hanging out next to the barn. And now that I realize, oh, they're in trouble. <laughs> Can't go into the forest by themselves. There are wolves in there. Yeah, Chekhov's wolves. We saw them hanging on the wall. At the beginning <laughs> That's of the right. And show. they still make that same mugging face when we see them again <laughs> later. Just they're hanging out like, yeah. But while they go to Sister Teresa and explain the whole thing, Lucas decides he has to go into the forest by himself and rescue his sheep. Because there are wolves in there. And while he's in the forest, he finds the sheep one by one. And while they're in there, they play the same wolf howling soundbite over and over again. <laughs> Wooly! Wooly! Please answer. I can hear you, but you sound so far away. It's a very specific clip, and it's one you've almost certainly heard before. It's one of those just generic wolf howling, but it's a very specific high-pitched one. And I counted the same howling noise is heard eight times. Well, they're uh, they're doing the best they can with the budget they have, right? I guess so. 
We only could afford the one Wolf Howl, not both of them, <laughs> that are probably on the same collection. So Lucas finds five of his six sheep. The one still missing is Wooly, whom we find out fell down a deep hole in the middle of the woods, which I don't know if that's a trap that someone set for something. That's a very specifically deep hole in the middle of just an empty patch of forest. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It seems it it seems like it was dug. It doesn't seem like it was a natural hole for sure. Right. Maybe it's a plot hole. Ah. There it is. <laughs> well, and this is where the other boys show up to find, apologize to and help Lucas. Whether Sister Teresa angrily sent them into the forest to go find him or they were motivated by their own guilt, we'll never know. So if you're Lucas and a couple of boys admit to playing a mean prank on you. Would you let them dangle you into a hole? No, first? no, that's their plan. They offer to help rescue Wooly by making a human chain down into the hole. And they specifically say, well, you'll be on the end of it, Lucas. <laughs> so, yeah, my first thought was, oh, no, either these kids are faking it and they're going to leave him down in that hole or they're accidentally going to drop him down there. And I'm like all ready for that to happen. Neither of that happens. But even Waggles is growling at them. <laughs> even the dogs like these boys shouldn't be trusted. Be careful. Watch too many bullies on TV, I guess. But these kids are genuine in their desire to help. And sure enough, they safely pull out Lucas and Wooly. And that's it. That's the end of the mean prank angle. Because <laughs> it's nativity playtime. And even Waggles and the Sheep are part of it. Mike, have you ever been to a live nativity with real animals? I have not been to a live nativity with real animals. Uh, it's been a while for me. I did. I went to one when I was late teens or early 20s, I want to say, at my old childhood parish. I remember my mom hyping it up. She was excited. But I remember being underwhelmed. Like, that's it? Like a sheep and a donkey? Maybe a horse if you're lucky. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta get, at least get some camels in there. Right. Yeah, well, they're hard to come by. <laughs> Just get them at the camel store they have in New Jersey. But it's a great get for a live nativity, but my younger self was somehow apparently unimpressed. <laughs> or maybe I just thought it smelled. I don't remember. But... We begin with another angel reciting the nativity story, and for some reason, this kid is really super cross-eyed. <laughs> And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them. None of the other characters in this look like that. Not even Lucas. I don't know what's up with this kid that his eyes look more crossed than anyone else's. This is probably just some puppet they had in the back. They were running out of stuff to use. Yeah, we need a different narrator. What do you got? Great, put some <laughs> wings on it. Uh, Octavia is playing Mary. The boys who hid the sheep are now playing the wise men. And here is where we get the full version of the first white Christmas. As another boy sitting on the roof of the stable dumps torn pieces of paper into the air to create snow in Bethlehem. They sing the song, All of Bethlehem is Covered in White. And again, this is the only special where I've seen that detail. It is a pretty song. 
Yeah, it's a nice song. I like the song. And as they sing, out the window of the church, we see one particular star in the sky begin to shine brightly, perhaps from the power of their singing. And then those little bits of paper the kids throwing off the stable roof are replaced with actual snow. And a single snowflake falls through the open church window and onto Lucas's face. It quickly melts into what looks like a tear. And he asks Louisa, hey, is it raining? I feel like something wet on my face. And Louisa looks up and sees it's snowing and it's the hand-drawn animated snowflakes like we see in the opening credits to Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, I like that. I like the, it seems like that's Rankin Bass, one of their go-to, right? Is that though for heavy snowfall, they'll do the hand-drawn uh flakes in front of kind of in front of the claymation. Yeah, I really love that style. It's random hexagons that look like bullseyes and just it's a very unique style. They even use it in their lettering just the angles just kind of jut out in every direction. Lucas begs Louisa in the middle of the play, mind you. <laughs> Tell me about it like you promised, Louisa. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Each tiny snowflake is like a perfect spider's web. That's a new one. I like that description. But as she's telling him about it, Lucas says she does such a great job describing the snow, he feels like he can actually see it. And surprise, he can actually see it because it's magic Christmas snow that can restore sight to little blind boys. Just like the first Christmas snow. Yes, it's a Christmas miracle. Wow. His pupils return to black or just dark blue or really. I, it's, it's for style. I like it. It looks good. We get the usual point of view here where his vision returns blurrily at first and then Luisa's face comes into focus. And then he looks down at Octavia playing Mary in the manger and holding the baby Jesus. I don't know if she's holding an actual baby or a doll. We never see the baby's face. He's swallowed very thoroughly. But Lucas sees a glowing halo over this baby's head and it continues getting brighter and brighter as we kind of zoom out toward the back of the church. And I don't know if he's the only one seeing that or if it's supposed to be, hey, look, everybody. You know, it's possible if he's seeing that, it might just be his retina detaching. Oh, no. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of things can go wrong with your eyes after a thing like that. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're coming full circle. It's temporary. It's a you get to see for one day. But we zoom out to the back of the church and now the snow's really coming down through the open windows of that church stage into the building. But no one's going to close it. It's the first snow of that village, Sister Teresa said at the beginning of this special. And then after the play, it's back to the Abbey where all the decorations are back. They saved a little Christmas for Christmas. <laughs> and here is where Lucas gives Sister Teresa his dog and sheep, or at least he attempts to. Because while she thanks him for the gift, she explains she doesn't know how to care for a sheep or a sheep dog. So I guess he's just going to have to stay there at the Abbey and watch over them for her. I like that she didn't really clear this with the father before she asked. No. She, she tells him he can stay. And then she says, what do you think, father? And that guy, that guy's kind of a jerk. I wouldn't trust that. <laughs> Isn't that right, father? I don't know whether she's guilting him into it or, or if she noticed like a change of heart. But Father Thomas admits. Oh, yeah. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> yes. I do feel that the best place for a boy with no parents is with people who love him. What a happy Christmas. The first real happy Christmas of my life. 
and Sister Teresa takes us out explaining it was the happiest Christmas for all of them, especially Lucas, who received a gift from God. And we zoom out to the falling snow again, and now the place is covered with snow as we fly over the abbey, which fades out into Sister Teresa's Christmas card drawing of it, which was a nice touch again. But that's it. Kind of a short one, or at least it felt like it to me. How about you? Yeah, you know, I appreciated its brevity. Yeah. Some of the Rankin-Bass specials, uh, they all they feel a little long in the tooth for me. Oh, yeah. I, I like this because it got in, it got out, and it got its point across. Yeah, it tells a really tight story in 25 minutes or less. I couldn't even imagine them drawing this out to an hour. I mean, I actually kind of could, but I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, they have uh, s- some of those two hour uh, Rankin Bass movies, the, the Rudolph and Frosty one. Oh, I can't make it through it, man. So <laughs> so when they when they keep it down to 25 minutes, I'm good. Yeah, this is the right amount of time for this particular story. They did as much as they could with it, I think. But final thoughts on the first Christmas, colon, the story of the first Christmas snow. Well, I do. I do just want to throw in. So I watched this on the DVD. Mm-hmm. And I need I need to put this in because I think you'll appreciate it. But there's a featurette that discusses in the special how she creates those Christmas cards. Oh, and then it has some lady who gives step by step walkthroughs for Christmas cards that you can make at home. And one of those Christmas cards is the potato method from Pee Wee's Big Playhouse Christmas <laughs> special. <laughs> really? I thought you'd appreciate that because I sat down I and do, I watched that yeah. whole, the whole featurette. It's pretty neat. Wow. I just thought they made that up for Pee Wee's Playhouse. But no. So did I. that must have been a thing in the 70s which that's why frankie avalon knows about it (laughs) it did not include anyone uh, brushing their teeth with paint unfortunately probably for the best (laughs) yeah i hope they include that in the dvd set well i can mail you my copy if they don't (laughs) because i don't know if i'm gonna be watching this one on the reg but uh, it was pretty good (laughs) thank you uh yeah, this one gets lost in the shuffle of the much more popular Rankin-Bass specials, I think, that we watch every year. Uh, I don't think I'd call it underrated or overrated. I think it definitely deserves to be seen more than it has been. Yeah, that, I think the first time I watched it, I was underwhelmed, probably because of the title, because I, I let it, it went by so quickly and I was very confused about why it was called, what it was called, and what I had just seen, but, but revisiting it here a couple of times over the last week. I, I think this one's pretty good. I think it tells a nice story and and uh, and has some nice songs. And that's really all I, all I can ask for for a Christmas special. Yeah, it's it's a great little story, but the title does hurt it. And it's like you're expecting a story about the first Christmas or you're expecting a story about the first time it snowed on Christmas. Neither of those things happens here. And it, it, it's very <laughs> weird, but it's a charming little story. And definitely check this out if you can. Uh, And hopefully it should be easy this year between AMC showing it and this complete Rankin-Bass Christmas collection, which, again, is mostly true with an asterisk. But that's a conversation for another episode. It's one of the now four Rankin-Bass Christmas specials left to cover on this podcast. But thank you, Mike, for joining me on this insightful look back onto this less popular classic. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm a big fan of listening, so I'm glad to participate. Hey, thanks. Uh, and if people want to lock your sheep in a barn for an allegedly harmless laugh, where can they find you on the Internet, Mike? I'm on Twitter at prune underscore Tracy. And that's it. <laughs>
And I am on Twitter at Fall West Mike and Advent Calhouse. You can find show notes for this episode and every episode at AdventCalendar.house. Tune in again in a couple of days for what I just realized is part two of our Angela Lansbury Christmas double feature. Until then, for Mike Troxel, from the comfort of someone else's bed right next to their front door, this is Mike Westfall saying, please watch out for the icy patch and please help others who can't see it do the same. Good night. And now, these messages. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. Greetings, holiday shoppers. I'm Joseph Wade, and I host a podcast called Christmas Creeps. My band of merry mischief makers and I dissect holiday movies and specials all year round in search of the true meaning of Christmas. So whether you can't resist the urge to watch Home Alone in June, or you worship at the altar of mutant killer snowmen, Christmas Creeps is the podcast for the Grinch in all of us. Check us out at christmascreeps.com or wherever you download podcasts. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... Give your family the perfect gift. Give them Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas, now available on video.